Welcome to Ignite Purpose. My name is Christina Foxwell. And as you know, this podcast is dedicated to help you ignite your purpose and live your best life and really just start leading who you are. And I have got a guest that I've invited back on our show, uh, Jill Studdard. Now, Jill is the author of Be Mighty and another book who, and I'll get Jill to talk about that, but Be Mighty is one of the books we recommend in our practice because if you're going to lead yourself, you need to know how to, how to work through some of the things that are really struggling, that you're struggling with. So Jill, would you like to say hi to our audience? Yes. Well, first of all, thank you for having me back, Christina. It's always so fun to chat with you. And hello to all of your listeners. I'm happy to be here. Hello. So, Jill, don't you want to just tell everyone a little bit about you before we get going? Who are you? Where do you work? Where do you come from? Yeah, sure. So I'm a clinical psychologist and I live in California, Southern California, San Diego, to be specific in the United States. Um, And so as a psychologist, I wear a number of different hats. I'm a therapist, of course. That's sort of the obvious one people (laughs) think of. And then as you mentioned, I'm a book author. Um, And then I also do a lot of, um, you know, teaching and training and kind of doing webinars and workshops, um, all of which has one overarching purpose, which is to help spread acceptance and commitment therapy to as many people as I possibly can. Um, oh, and I almost forgot, I'm also yes. a podcast host, a co-host yes, you of are. the Psychologists Off the Clock podcast. Um, and that too, most of the guests that we have on to interview are often folks who um, practice act or, or kind of act consistent um, principles and, and things like that. So it's act is, is a type of therapy that's evidence-based, you know, supported yes. by research that yes. I have been practicing in my own life for 20 years and credit it for having a really big, bold, beautiful life, not a pain-free life, but a life where I really feel alive. Um, and so I've sort of made it my mission to try to share it with as, as many other people as I can. So I'm happy we'll get to talk a little bit about it today. I love it. When I, when I was referred to you by Robert Fullerton and I listened to your podcast, I was like, oh, wow. And then I downloaded the book and I was like, oh, yes. And then we connected and I was so thrilled to have you on our podcast show. So please, we will put the link to Jill's previous conversation with me in this one so that you can actually just check out our conversation where we talk about um, metaphors and acceptance. Acceptance isn't easy, is it? Oh, goodness, no. no. It is certainly not easy. It's one of the hardest things to learn. And I, and I think it's also something we're never done with. Um, you know, it's not something you learn and then are sort of like brush your hands, you're done. It's something we have to return to again and again and again and again each time we feel discomfort. Mm-hmm. I call it my shame bag that I no longer carry yet know it's there. And I might pick it up every now and again. And my husband is gorgeous, Jill. He goes, Tina, put that bag down. And I go, oh, God, have I picked it up again? <laughs> I love it. You have a shared metaphor. That's the beauty of metaphors. They give you a common language. It's a common language. And we know what yeah. we're talking about. And we know that it gets between us and it gets between living our best life. Mm-hmm. 
Now we, I wanted you to talk to me today about values and the importance of being able to connect with our values and, and yeah. why it matters. Can you, can you talk to me about why it's so important, Jill, and what you found and how it comes to life? Yeah, of course. Well, I think maybe we can define them first, like what values okay. are and, and what they are not. Um, so, you know, values really simply put, the way, the way I talk about it in the book is that values are the me you want to be. And so, you know, this is what are the things that you want to be doing or not doing in your life? And more importantly, how do you want to be doing them? So like, who is the person that wants to show up? Um, so it's the actions we take, but, but it's also the qualities that we embody as we take those actions. So for example, um, let's say friendship is something that's important to me. And I decide that I'm going to start scheduling monthly uh, Zoom meetings for, you know, those of us here who are yes. still sheltering in place, <laughs> Zoom meetings with my girlfriends. Yes. If I'm doing that, that's, that's the action, right? Yes. That's a, that's consistent with something that matters. But if I show up to those meetings and I only talk about the weather or I only share the good stuff going on with my life, going on in my life, you know, then it's really only half the equation. If the me I want to be is someone who is authentic and open, um, you know, then that means I have to share the hard stuff you know, the things that are hard to say too. And so it's, it's what you're doing and how you're doing it. What values are not, um, a couple things. So first of all, they're not feelings. So we can't say I value being calm because good luck, you're setting yourself up for failure because we don't really get to control our feelings as much as we wish we could or think we can. Yes. Um, values are not goals. So, you know, a goal is something that ha it's an outcome. It's something that has an end point. So I might have a goal of setting up these Zoom meetings, right? You can check it off your to-do list. You know when it's done. Um, but the value is more about those qualities that you embody when you do it. And so they're related, um, but they're different. And then they're also not how you want other people to treat you. So, so you might say like, oh, well, I value respect. Like I value being respected. So you can value giving others respect, but whether people respect you or not is completely up to them. So you can choose to act in ways that make it more likely that you get someone's respect. But at the end of the day, that's really up to them. Ooh. So there, there's, there are things that you, it has to be something that you can actually have a say over, which is really at the end of the day, just how you move your hands and your feet and your mouth. I love that because I wrote an article about um, four years ago. I was on a train between Paris and London. We were on holiday because my husband's from, from the UK and we flew up and my brothers live there too. And I love Paris, Jill. And I was writing because I'd just seen all these amazing things. Joan of Arc. I love Joan of Arc, her story. I love that story of she lived to her values even if it cost her she lived to her values and so i'm sitting on this train and i'd, I'd just been working with an executive who was struggling with their legacy um and i've written something down as you spoke it's the me i want to be and when i think the me i want to be i think legacy mm -hmm. 
it's mm-hmm. the it's the legacy I want to leave because that's the me I want to be. But I've actually got to live the me I want to be to to leave that legacy. A hundred percent, right? Like, how do I want people to remember me? Exactly. And they're going to remember me based on the way I move my hands and my feet and my mouth. And yes. that can either be driven by your values or it can be driven by other things like shame or avoidance of shame. And those two things often look very different from one another. So one of my values is love Mm -hmm. and how my value has come to life before I started recognizing it starts with me was to be loved versus to stand in love. Yeah. Those are two different things. Yet I thought I was living my value, but I wasn't. I was trying to create my value to come toward me. Yeah. Right. But, it, but that's a similar example to respect. You don't get mm-hmm. to control whether other people give you love or love you. You can give love out and you can take love in when it comes your way and you can act in ways that make it more likely that you'll receive love, but you don't get to control whether love comes to you. Nice. So that's so that the, can't be a value. So the value, it powers me up if I'm connected to it mm-hmm. versus me trying to seek it outside and trying to plug into the wall to get that to feed me. You know, right. plug in, like plug you can embody out. love. So I, in, I can embody love. Action, that's right. So whatever actions you're taking whether they're, you know, little things like driving in traffic or big things, um, you can embody love. So if somebody cuts you off, you can pull up against their bumper and be an obnoxious driver because you're mad. Does that, is, is that driven by love? No. Oh. Right? So you oh. can choose how you want to be even in these small moments in ways that reflect that human that you want to be. And I think you're right that that goes a long way toward legacy when you do that consistently in the different roles that you play in the areas of your life. So here's a question to you and to our audience out there. Listen carefully. I'm hoping we can answer this because sometimes my brain works too fast, but if love is my value and I'm living outside of that value by the things I'm doing because my shame is in the way, how does that become a bigger issue for me, Jill? What are some of the things I then could wrestle with mm-hmm. as a person? Well, gosh, I mean, that's a big, it's a great question. It's a big question because the answers are nearly endless. Okay. Um, I think probably the big picture is what's, you know, what you're basically asking is what is the cost? Thank you. And, that's it. Yes. Beautiful. Right? And like, and likely I imagine it's probably not connecting with other people in the way that you would like to, um, not, not connecting with yourself or feeling about yourself that you would like to, um, you know, I, I think overall, you know, essentially what you're talking about is avoidance. So like when, whatever the emotion is, whether it's shame or fear or anxiety or anger, when emotions show up that we don't like, that we're uncomfortable with, you know, we often will 
react on autopilot and do whatever it takes to move away from that discomfort. Mm. And that's not always a bad thing. You know, feeling good isn't a bad thing if there's no cost. Mm. But often it comes at the cost of sacrificing values. And then life starts to get kind of small and restricted and doesn't, you don't feel alive. No, you don't. I feel, feel safe and in control, but there's usually a trade-off there. You know, you're talking about hiding out in your comfort zone, essentially, and that's not always a bad thing. But, you know, I, I like to look at, when you look at like really big, meaningful, important changes that have happened in your life, a lot of times what happens right before that is something really uncomfortable. There's a lot of emotional pain because we don't typically grow when we hang out in our comfort zones. And so I think that's, there's a lot of little ways that it could get in the way, but I think the big picture is it really inhibits that growth. I love that. So how do we find what our values are? Oh yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, so there's a, there's a number of little ways to do this. Yeah. There's, you know, like exercises and metaphors. I'll tell you the way, the one way not to do it is to just ask somebody, so what are your values? Hmm. What do you care about? Right. Cause that's, I mean, I don't know about you, but I get sort of, I'll go, oh, I have no idea. What are my values? Oh my goodness. Yes. It's such a big question. Right. Yeah. Um, and so there are different, different ways to do this. One of the ways I'll, I'll kind of give you the like quick and dirty ways. Um, and then I'll, I'll tell you some more expanded exercises that we sometimes do, but I like to think about heroes. Like if you think about a person and this can be someone in your life who, you know, you know, like a family member or a teacher, um, or it could be uh, someone you think, you know, like a celebrity, yes. um, or it could be a fictional character. And you look at what are the qualities that this person has that you admire, that you would like to embody more in your own life, not their achievements, because that's that external thing, but the quality. So for example, mine is Oprah Winfrey. I love Oprah. Don't you love Oprah? I, right? I love She's Oprah. the best. And Oprah is someone who was subjected to racism, sexism, abuse, uh, I mean, you name it, right? She, she's encountered so many obstacles in her life, poverty. Mm. And yet she never let those things get in her way. She overcame those things mm. and she always stayed true to herself, at least as far as I know, at least as far as I can know Oprah. She at least strikes me as someone who has always been herself, who has always been authentic. And she's also someone who has very publicly struggled with her weight mm. and never let that get in her way. And so those are things that I really relate to. And so for me, my kind of most, the, the value I prioritize most, because of course we have more than one, is authenticity and really trying to show up as my true self for people. And that when I get down on myself about my appearance, my weight, et cetera, that I never let that get in the way of me going for something that matters to me. And Oprah also appears to use all of her money and power for really good things. And I would like to think, not that I have money and power, but I would like <laughs> to think that I at least use my voice in ways that, you know, serve and help other people. So other people, you know, people can just think about like, who is someone that you know, or in your life or more than one person? And what are the qualities that you admire? And what does that tell you about the values you choose to embody or wish to embody? Isn't that a nice one? 
Yeah. That is such a nice one. I love that. Yeah. There's also, um, if you think about your epitaph, like if you were to have a gravestone, mm. what would you, if you had to sum up and, and this is kind of related to legacy, I suppose too, if you had a gravestone and it could only say one line, what would you want it to say? Would you want it to say, um, here lies Christina. She was really good at letting her shame dictate all of her choices, even though it meant living a small life. Mm. Or would you want it to say, here lies Christina. Even when she, even when her shame bag was at its heaviest, she never stopped walking forward in the direction of the things that mattered to her. Yep, that's the one. Right? And I just got goosebumps. I know. I was just thinking, <laughs> oh my God, I have to send this to someone. Um, but that's the thing. So who's the me you want to be? What would you want your gravestone to say? And then there are expanded ways to do this where you might, you know, close your eyes and really take some time to imagine either you know, someone saying you're like, you're at the very end of a long life. And if you had lived your life as the person you want to be, you know, you stood for the things you wanted to stand for and someone were to give, give your eulogy or give you a lifetime achievement award, if you don't like the death theme, you know, what would you want them to say about you, about the choices you made, about the type of parent or friend or boss or coworker, you know, whatever the roles are that you embody, what would you want them to say about the, the way you chose to live your life in those roles and the qualities you embodied? And what would they say about shame or these other things that typically might get in your way? Mm. Um, mm. And you can do that as a two part where you could do kind of the eulogy at the end of the life, or if someone gave your eulogy today, what would they say? And how are those two things different? And that can be pretty painful when there's a big discrepancy, but it gives you a perfect roadmap for where you need to start doing your work. So I love that. So out there listeners, I would like you to write the story of who you are today and own it. And the story of who you'd like to be remembered of, of or from, or, you know, this, this is me. And then the thing I think we've got to talk about here is to stand in acceptance of who I am and to then be willing to step into who I'm committed to be. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to add to that too, because I think sometimes these kinds of exercises, um, they create, uh, I don't, I don't know how to, they create this like roadmap of like, oh gosh, I have to make all these big gigantic changes and it can feel sort of overwhelming. Yes. But, but the me I want to be, the other part of that little sentence that's Go important is in this one moment. Ooh. And I point out in the book how the word me sits right inside the word moment. So who's the me I want to be in this moment? And I think this is particularly important right now, you know, during this pandemic where we might not be out being big go-getters. We might feel like we're barely surviving, you know, especially for like home and you're trying to, to parent and work or if you lost your job or, you know, it's just so hard right now. 
And the thing is, we get to make value choices in, in every moment, you know, like I get to choose how I'm going to show up right now while I'm talking to you. And um, it makes me feel vulnerable to admit that I struggle with the way I feel about my weight. Yeah. And I could choose to admit that to a bunch of people listening because my value is authenticity and trying to, because I want my story to help others. Yeah. Or I can choose to not share that because I feel insecure and anxious and vulnerable. Right. Yeah. So there's no like big life plan yeah. involved. It's just how do I want to show up to this moment in time? And when we finish this recording and, and here where I am, it's almost dinner time. And I go out to be with my children and they've been on screens almost all day. Um, and then I feel ashamed, right? And it makes them cranky. They get irritable yes. when they spend too much time on screens. Sure and do. how am I going to show up when they're being cranky and it makes me feel irritable? Mm. And can I, mm. am I going to react on autopilot and snap and be mean to them? Mm. Or can I act patiently even if I'm not feeling patient? So it's small. It can just be moments. So I, I think these exercises are grand for starting to like flesh out what's important to you if you don't really even know in terms of the qualities you want to embody. And also then you can pull right back and just think about for you, Christina, how do I embody love in this moment? I'm going to play an example out. Is that okay? Yes, please do. Um, my son has been my most beautiful teacher and still is. He's actually sitting in the office working with me today because he works in our practice and he's waving his hand. So everybody out there, he's with us on the recording. And I had to take him to the doctor for something and I was feeling anxious. I was running between meetings um, and he's a very clear human. So he'll say to me what he's feeling and he will push and we're very similar. So when he pushes, I tend to push back. And as we were driving, he was, he was explaining to me how he feels. Now his voice has dropped. So he's got a deep baritone voice. And that makes me anxious when he speaks really fast with a deep baritone voice. I don't know why. It's just something that goes off for me. And we're talking about the doctor. We're talking, and, and, and I grabbed the steering wheel and I knew I was going to go into the anxious fight, flight or freeze moment. I could feel it coming. I could feel it coming. And I grabbed the steering wheel and I said to him, I looked at him, I said, I've got to go into love right now because I'm not in love. I'm in fear. Uh, I need to shift into love. So I'm just going to breathe. I know this is weird, but I want to shift into love. Let me just, let me just have a moment to choose. I love it. Uh, and I it's use beautiful. that now. I use that yeah. because I know the best of me isn't that. Mm -hmm. And I've learned to live my whole life fighting like a shield maiden. My daughter made me watch Vikings the other day. So if anyone out there, and she said, Oh mom, that's a shield maiden. I said, I do kind of like that term, um, which was a Viking warrior woman. Shield maiden. <laughs> I've been a shield maiden most of my life. Yet the authentic part of me is love, peace, connection. Um, being able to hear, standing next to others. And when I'm in my shield maiden mode, it's not about that. It's about fighting for me. Mm -hmm. 
So, well, yeah. I think one of the things that, you know, I, I, what I really, I love two, two things about that is you don't have to feel love to act lovingly. Nice. You know, and so you were feeling fight, flight, freeze, fear mode. Mm. And, you know, you can choose to say, hold on, I have to stop. Remember my value. My value is love. What will my behavior look like if I'm Mm. acting from a place of love, whether this fight, flight thing turns off or not, whether I feel filled with love or not, I can embody love irrespective of how I feel. Yes. Right. Yes. And you're also talking about being mindful and, you know, mindfulness is really the very first building block of being able to start living a valued life because Mm -hmm. what you did was get yourself off autopilot instead of just reacting Mm -hmm. from that place of fear, you became aware, awareness. Number one, you got Mm -hmm. present, you Mm -hmm. were aware and that awareness gives you that beat you know, to take a moment to then choose how to respond and to choose from a place of values rather than just being reactive. That's beautiful. Thank you. I think it's about this. Ho- and that's why when I read your book, I was like, ooh, ooh, Jill, have you been in my life? You've been with me <laughs> in my life. Um, because it's so important. It's free. Mm-hmm. It's not easy to step out of autopilot yet to step into your value is a place of freedom. Yeah, it is not easy. And I agree it's, but it's very empowering to be able to do that and you'll fail all the time. I mean, I fail on a daily basis and I've been practicing this for 20 years. I love you know, that I'm you sure that Yeah. I mean, if my kids heard me having this conversation, they'd be like, what are you talking about? You yell at us all the time. <laughs> Right. I do. I fail all the time at doing be like, take a beat and embody the love and come at this from a place of patience. You know, it's something I'm constantly working on. And some of these shifts will feel easy once that awareness is there and you've identified those values and others are going to take longer and maybe even be difficult forever. And it's something we get to return to again and again. And when we fail, especially if it's in an interpersonal domain, you still have the next moment to be the me you want to be, right? So I apologize to my kids a lot. (laughs) Totally. Right? So I'm still showing up in that moment as the mom I want to be by owning my mistake and by, you know, telling them, you know, kind of explaining, not explaining, like not in a defensive way, but, you know, modeling for my kids that it's okay to to be human and make mistakes and imperfect, but to own those mistakes, to take responsibility for them and to apologize. So they see that more than they see me being calm in the first place. Usually it's a work in progress. I love that. I want to throw something out there. I was running up, I'm running workshops at the moment for an organization that are going through tremendous change where people will potentially lose their jobs or shift into new roles. It is a lot of discomfort and we were sharing a lot of these things and one of the delegates that was in the session was was sharing something to me with me and I was sharing something back so that we could find common ground we weren't right or wrong we were both in the same track we were just trying to explore how we find our way one of the other delegates pointed out Christina you're right 
And then at lunchtime came back to both of us, asked us if they could just have a quick conversation and went, I want to apologize to the other delegate. There is no wrong or right. Your view and your perspective is more than enough. Mm-hmm. I was really excited with Christina's view because it connected with me really well. Your view is not wrong. It's just different and it's okay. So I want to say, I'm sorry if that came across as hurtful. Isn't that living to your values? Wow. Yes. Well, we don't know because we haven't asked that person what his values are, but one can probably say <laughs> feel it a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it, that he put his pride to the side to show up in this vulnerable way. And that most likely that was coming from a values-driven place because there's, you know, the, the avoidant thing would normally be to just stand in that place of I'm right and I don't want to admit I'm wrong. So it certainly sounds that way. So I have another question for you. I am not living my values, but I know what they are. I'm struggling mm-hmm. to get there. So I'm just playing this out for you as a scenario. I just don't know how to get there. Can you talk me through identifying the things that stop me from getting to my values? Is Mm, it, for example, I do something wrong uh, and I keep doing that wrong thing. It's not in my value, but I keep doing it. I just can't stop doing it. Is it because I keep holding on to it? And I'm reliving it. What, what, what is some of the things? Yeah. I, I don't know what the answer is. I'm playing it out with you because it's an interesting yeah. thought for me. So I think what, it, what you're talking about is essentially that all of our behavior has a function. You know, yeah. it always has a purpose. Yeah. And even if we intellectually know that something isn't serving us, there's a reason we continue to do it. And, you know, yes. the example I always use that because I think everyone can relate to it at some point or other is procrastination. Because yeah. we all know intellectually that procrastin there's never anything good that comes out of procrastination. Um, but in the moment that we give ourselves permission to put off an aversive task, we get relief. Mm. Right? It feels good to say, oh, forget it. I'll just do it tomorrow. Mm. And it's in that moment. And you can apply this to most behavior, smoking, drinking, eating, mm. Um, avoidance of all sorts of different things in the moment we give ourselves permission to engage in that behavior, we get something out of it. There's some sort of relief, comfort, comfort zone, comfort of zone. negative feeling, comfort zone. It's comfort zone. And, you know, but then of course, so that's the short-term gain, but then of course there's a long-term cost like tomorrow. I now have the same amount of work to do, but less time to do it because I didn't do it yesterday. Right. That's the cost of procrastination. And then it's, you know, when you think about the cost to your values that like, am I, is that the me I want to be? Do I want to be the person that puts things off because it's hard or uncomfortable? And so it's now I have more dread because I still have to do this thing. And I feel icky because I'm not really being the person that I want to be. And so that's true. I think you could, you could plug, I know, like you could plug any behavior in there and you're pretty much going to get the same thing. Everything, it works or we wouldn't do it. Everything we do gets us something, even if we intellectually know that it's bad for us. Okay. I like that. So here's the next question. Your book talks about behavioral patterns. Mm Mm-hmm. It does, doesn't it? I'm not living in my own world. I'm sure it does, Jill. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So how do I change the behavioral pattern permanently? 
Yeah. Well, I think that, for, well, permanently, I don't know. Okay. So this is something, again, You, it's something you have to return to again and again and again. And I still yes. haven't, you know, permanently changed my behavior of snapping at my kids when I'm irritable. I wish I could. Um, but it's, you know, number one is the awareness, is okay. recognizing like when, when this when this discomfort shows up, what yes. do I do or yes. not do? Yes. And then what does that get me? Yes. And what is the cost? Yes. Right. So once I'm aware of that, I go, okay, so what's the alternative? Like, it's not my painful feelings that are causing all the problems in my life. It's what I'm doing with them. It's the, nice. the alcohol That's or the it. procrastination, right? It's not shame that causes your problem. It's whatever you're doing to try to not feel the shame that keeps you stuck. It's that secrecy, the silence, the, the beating you give yourself. So you just keep doing it because it's the only way right. to make you feel a little bit better in that moment. Right. Right. Yep. If someone avoids conflict or is a people pleaser, yes. you know, these are all behaviors. These are things we do to avoid discomfort, mm -hmm. but it's not the discomfort that's the problem. It's the behaviors that cause that stuckness. And so then, you know, what's the alternative? Well, if I don't need to move if I don't need to be in my comfort zone, if I can learn how to practice acceptance or willingness to have some pain and discomfort, yes. I can choose to move forward in a different way. Yes. You know, I don't have to procrastinate if I can have a little bit of dread or anxiety and still do the thing anyway. But of course, it's easier said than done. You know, the payoff for yes. sitting on the sofa and watching Netflix instead of doing the big report is it's immediate, you know, it's of high magnitude. That's the behavioral piece you're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, whereas doing the hard thing is hard. And so a lot of it is that willingness to feel discomfort, but because you're really um, clear on your values, that's always like the beacon. I, I like to use the metaphor of a, um, of a lighthouse. Yes. That if you think about your life as a journey, you're a ship and you're traveling, yes. Yes. you know, on this sea journey, and maybe you have a destination, a port or somewhere you want to go, and the fog rolls in. Yes. And the fog are all the thoughts and feelings. Yes. All the things that say you're not good enough, or the feelings yeah. of shame or fear. You can't do it. Who do you think you are, right? Fog. And a lot of times we'll then drop anchor and just kind of wait for the fog to clear. Mm. But what if the fog never clears? Now you're just stuck. You've stopped moving forward with your life. Yes. But there's an alternative and the alternative, you know, the lighthouse literally guides the ship even in the fog yes, or the dark. And so if the lighthouse is our values, like the values are that beacon that we can look to, that we can follow, mm. even when we're feeling dread or fear or shame or whatever it is, we don't need to wait for it to go away. We can let the values guide us and practice acceptance of that fog and continue to move forward in the journey. And it's not easy, no. but it's worth it. So I love, love, love what you said. I have to accept the fog. Mm -hmm. Yet I'm still willing to be, and I use this a lot in the high performance work we do, comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm which means, and I like saying this to people when we look at their behavioral profile sometimes, when I enjoy it too much, it's maybe too much. Mm, I like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When I'm I enjoying like it too much, mm, is that the right, is that the stretch I need? Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, you asked me earlier why values are important and I defined them and I don't think I came back to why values are important, although hopefully that's more clear just based on our conversation. But one thing what you're saying makes me think of in terms of why they're important is that typically you know, there, if it's something that really matters to you, there's going to be pain and discomfort with it. You know, I always use the example, I sort of joke, like, I don't have a lot of anxiety or negative thoughts about my cooking, because no. I just don't really care to be a world-class chef. Mm -hmm. But I have a lot of anxiety and negative thoughts about my parenting and my professional world yes. and, you know, the things that really matter in my life. They're like two sides of the same coin. And so I think you're right. If you're having too much fun and it's all comfortable, there might be something, you know, something else to, to look at there. And that usually like when you think about the stuff that keeps you up worrying at night, mm -hmm. it's not what you're going to watch on Netflix tomorrow, even though that might be fun and enjoyable. Uh, absolutely. And I think that is the self-awareness piece that's just important to reflect on which is why reflection is important mm -hmm. i don't think we have enough courage sometimes to stop breathe and think or even to and i'll say this very boldly to ask ourselves the question who is the me i want to be mm -hmm. and i, I want to kind of bring our podcast to a close with this thought. It's the courage to ask ourselves the question and the willingness to love and accept ourselves through the journey of becoming the who we want to be. Is that okay to say? I love it. That's absolutely okay to say. And I think, you know, it is a journey. There yes. isn't an end point. There are no arrivals. It's, it's asking yourself that exact question many times throughout the day. You know, we're, we're faced with choices throughout the day in each moment about how we want to show up. Can we have the courage to really ask that question and make that choice even when it's hard, even when it means, you know, vacating your seat in the comfort zone? Absolutely. Joel, my dad, he's passed away recently. And I was speaking to my uncle on Saturday, recently, like two months, I was speaking to my uncle and I said, if there's one thing about my dad, he was a minister in a church and he was the most imperfect person to ever become a minister, Jill. He was divorced. He had a child. He married my mother. Then he found God. He went into the ministry. But there was one thing about my dad that always stood out to me. He was a man of honor. His word was his word. If he said he was taking you somewhere, he was taking you somewhere. If he said he would collect you somewhere, he would collect you somewhere. If he said he was going to do this, he would do it. If he couldn't do it, he would tell you he couldn't do it and he would redo it. And so that honor piece, I don't know how else to describe it. He lived according to his values. He didn't, he didn't believe that manipulation of his church or his ministry was ever okay. He would hold people accountable for that because that wasn't honor. Um, and he never had the biggest congregations known to humankind, but he always picked up the broken ones. <laughs> and it was because of that thing he lived by. He was imperfect. 
but yet his legacy for me is one that I want to live myself. Yeah, he sounds like a perfect hero to think about he in was, terms of the, the qualities that he chose to embody that made him a special guy. He was a special guy. Yeah. And maybe that's the, we all have our own form of special, right? Mm-hmm. And I, just as you were thinking about who is the me I want to be that kept coming up for me and in this moment I think is the most important thing because right now is all I have. Yeah, that's right. I don't yeah. have yesterday, it's gone. Right. It, and and that the answer to that question may change from one moment to the next. You know, there may be one moment where I want to be assertive and embody self-respect Correct. And there may be a different moment where I want to embody tenderness mm-hmm. and being gentle. Yes. You know, it's, it's, this is all context dependent. And so it's not that you're going to think about your eulogy and write down your values and now those are the values and they're rigid. And, you know, this is something that, that requires some level of like fluidity throughout the day and thoughtfulness. It's not just, okay, I have to be authentic in every single moment, but what does this moment call for? What's the top, you know, priority of values in this moment? And that might be different in the next moment. So it's almost the, what does the best of me look like right now? Right. And can I choose to be that? Yeah. And and it's, I don't mean to suggest your values change necessarily. It's not that it's not that they're changing. It's that we have lots of different values and the one that rises to the top or the two or three that rise to the top may be different depending on the context and that it's about being thoughtful and making a conscious, deliberate choice, which is the opposite of that autopilot thing. Yeah. And I think in, as a final thought to that, we work, we live and work and exist with other humans. And everyone is just trying to do their best. I have to think of that. Yeah. So that's why the moment is important. Mm-hmm. Because I'm navigating my way through the fog. I can see the lighthouse. I'm navigating my way. And there are other, other boats in the harbor too. Mm. Oh, I like that. Don't you like that? I like that. I'm going to add that. <laughs> to the metaphor the next time I use it. <laughs> yeah, because there are other boats and they navigate there are other the boats. fog. And yeah. that's why the moment is important to be present. Yeah. Jill, as always, it is such a joy to have you with me. I just want you to keep coming back. Um, but Happy I'm, to. I, and you will, yeah, because I think... <laughs> The book you've written, please, everybody out there, it's called Be Mighty. Um, I'm going to add the link, download it, listen to it. Take the moment to be the best of you with what you know of how to. Come on. It's the how to that gets us all stuck. Um, Go and explore your values. And why not be and think about who is the me I want to be? And instead of being shamed by the me you're not, be joyful about the me you can be. I love it. Yeah. 
Jill, thank you for being in our little uh, conversation today. It's always a great pleasure. I want to hope that you and your family have a beautiful dinner. And, uh, <laughs> and um, yes, all the listeners out there, every moment we have counts. And I just want to leave that with you. Uh, Jill and I have loved spending time with you. We will be back. I'm going to be interviewing Jill on our other podcast called Bounce with Jackie Arnold shortly. Um, so please look out for that and stay connected and be inspired to ignite your purpose. This is Christina Foxwell. Have a fabulous day further and we will chat soon. Jill, do you want to say bye? Bye, everybody. Thank you for having me, Christina. This was fun. It's my great pleasure. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Take care. Bye.